now we're, I have the privilege of inviting up Austin Hill. Come on, Austin. Austin is uh, he's on pastoral staff with our uh, UCM, our campus ministry here. And uh, Austin is going to share the word with us this morning. He's on transitional staff. Like one, you did the internship, now one year, mm-hmm. your staff. Yep. Recently married, and you're going to share a little about that. And Austin, um, we play ultimate Frisbee together. And I'll tell you two things. One, this man is very, very fast. And two, he, there's no part of him that takes it easy on people who are older than him. Um, so uh, uh, thank you so, so much for sharing this morning. And yeah, it's all yours, man. Yeah, good morning, everyone. Um, like I said, for, for those of you, or as Tim said, for those of you who don't know me, my name's Austin Hill. Uh, I've been a part of this community here at Hillcrest for the past two years, uh, during which time I've had the opportunity to both intern and now serve as transitional staff with our campus ministry up at Western. Uh, prior to that, I was a student here at Western, been in Bellingham for about seven years now. I graduated from Western with a degree in applied math, and I think that degree kind of speaks a lot about who I am, not in the sense that I actually like math, but in the sense that I look at the world very analytically, and I, I, I really enjoy and embrace getting to solve problems. Um, throughout college, I, I feel like I'm kind of eclectic in the sense that I've had a bunch of different, really random opportunities, all the way from getting to work on a science research project with NASA to driving trucks and tractors on a farm out in Idaho. And so I just have a bit of a, a varied life experience. Um, but I found that because I love to dive into problems, I even take that same approach when I look at Scripture. Um, I found that I approach Scripture very methodically because of the, the analytical mindset that I have. Um, as Tim said, probably the most important thing in my life currently is that just this past December, I got married. Um, my new wife, Pristine, and I got married up here in Bellingham back in December. She is also getting to serve alongside me as a transitional staff member with UCM as we figure out where the Lord's leading us next. So, let's just jump in. We're just getting started looking at the book of Daniel, where we get to observe Daniel in the midst of this Babylonian exile that he's in. And today, we will find that living in exile provides a proving grounds for one's faith. So to, to start off for today, I want to I begin by asking a question. Hopefully we can move towards answering that by the end of our time together. But the question is this. In the midst of our circumstances, how can I live day to day trusting God? Now, Many of us might not want to outright affirm that that question happens within us. How can I live day-to-day trusting God? That doesn't sound like a very Christian question to be asking ourselves. But I think as I've observed and as I've engaged with people, that there's actually substantial evidence that that question is at play within our hearts. I want to begin with an example. So as a missionary on a college campus, I make it a, a large part of my job to go out and to take our students and to engage with non-believers on our campus. Oftentimes, one of the simplest ways to do that is to just approach someone with a question. Sometimes the questions that we go out with are more spiritual than others. But ultimately, I found that when you engage someone with a question that's based around beliefs and values, 
those are the things that make really good conversation because it gets you the opportunity to really know who someone is, to know what makes them tick, to know what actually impacts their life. So if you ever need someone who just goes out and unashamedly asks random people questions, that's my job, kind of. So one of my favorite questions is this. When you think about the future of the world, do you find yourself more optimistic or pessimistic? And why? Now, it's not an overly spiritual question, but what it accomplishes is it makes students wrestle with what they ultimately put their hope and their trust into. And I think it also gets to, is that thing truly sufficient? So in preparation for this sermon, I actually decided to go out and ask students on our campus and engage with them, Christians and non-Christians alike, to see what they thought. Now, I wasn't too surprised, but the response was largely pessimistic. Many people noted things of a political nature, and even amongst Christians, there was the sense that while I have an intellectual understanding of God's goodness and God's love for me, there's often a lack of ability to see the outworking of his goodness in our lives. And therefore, we find great difficulty in trusting him in our own circumstances, in our post-Christian exile. So for those of you who weren't here last week, throughout our time in Daniel, we're really going to be focusing on that idea of exile. For Daniel, that exile is living in a nation that has taken him captive, taken him from his home in Jerusalem. But for us, we're, we're living in a society that's increasingly post-Christian, where more and more people in our society hold beliefs and values that are just opposed or different from those of God's people. So it's with that question, how can we live day-to-day -day trusting God, that I want us to begin by turning to Daniel 2 in hopes of finding an answer. I want to begin by simply reading through the narrative. It's a little bit long, but just bear with me. And then we're going to step our way through the text. For today, we'll be focusing on verses 1 through 23. Uh, and you can go ahead and turn there in your Bible or also follow along on the screen above me. Starting in verse 1, it says this. One night during the second year of his reign, Nebuchadnezzar had such disturbing dreams that he couldn't sleep. He called in his magicians, enchanters, sorcerers, and astrologers, and he demanded that they tell him what he had dreamed. As they stood before the king, he said, I have had a dream that deeply troubles me, and I must know what it means. Then the astrologers answered the king in Aramaic, Long live the king, tell us the dream, and we will tell you what it means. But the king said to the astrologers, I am serious about this. If you don't tell me what my dream was and what it means, you will be torn limb from limb, and your houses will be turned into heaps of rubble. But if you tell me what I dreamed and what the dream means, I will give you many wonderful gifts and honors. Just tell me what the dream means. They said again, please, your majesty, tell us the dream, and we will tell you what it means. The king replied, I know what you are doing. You're stalling for time because you know I am serious when I say, if you don't tell me the dream, you are doomed. So you have conspired to tell me lies, hoping I will change my mind. But tell me the dream, and then I'll know that you can tell me what it means. 
The astrologers replied to the king, No one on this earth can tell the king his dream, and no king, however great and powerful, has ever asked such a thing of any magician, enchanter, or astrologer. The king's demand is impossible. No one except the gods can tell you your dream, and they do not live here among us. The king was furious when he heard this, and he ordered that all the wise men of Babylon be executed. And because of the king's decree, men were sent to find and kill Daniel and his friends. When Arioch, the commander of the king's guard, came to kill Daniel, Daniel handled the situation with wisdom and discretion. He asked Arioch, why has the king issued such a harsh decree? So Arioch told him all that had happened. Daniel went at once to see the king and requested more time to tell the king what his dream meant. Then Daniel went home and told his friends Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah what had happened. He urged them to ask the God of heaven to show them his mercy by telling them the secret, so they would not be executed along with the other wise men of Babylon. That night, the secret was revealed to Daniel in a vision. Then Daniel praised the God of heaven. He said, Praise the name of God forever and ever, for he has all wisdom and power. He controls the course of world events. He removes kings and sets up other kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the scholars. He reveals deep and mysterious things and knows what lies hidden in darkness, though he is surrounded by light. I thank and praise you, God of my ancestors, for you have given me wisdom and strength, for you have told me what we asked of you and revealed to us what the king demanded. So what do we see here? First, we see a stressed out King Nebuchadnezzar who has had a God-given bad night of sleep. And, and while the contents of the dream aren't detailed out in that passage, don't worry. We can hold on. We'll look at that next week. I believe there is a lot worth chewing on here. This dream that he's had is followed by a declaration that the Magi of the court of Babylon must reveal to him the dream and its interpretation or be put to death. That includes Daniel, who in the chapter prior, we have just seen to improve in himself to have a great aptitude for wisdom, which led to him being raised up into the royal service. Through no fault of his own, Daniel has found himself in a seemingly impossible situation with a death sentence looming over his head. What would that have been like for Daniel? How would you feel if you were thrust into that kind of situation? What would that have been like? So as we start to look at the text, um, for, uh, a first topic of, of great significance really popped out at me that I really wanted to investigate. And, and it's... Uh, this whole, in the first section, we look at this, this group of the wise men of the court of Babylon, this group that Daniel has been interjected into. These wise men who also go by the name of magi, magicians, sorcerers, enchanters, astrologers, they're, they're a bit of an interesting group. But for all intents and purposes, these people are Daniel's co-workers and colleagues. They together form this advisory team that 
that serves to help Nebuchadnezzar administer his kingdom. And in this case, he looks to them to understand his dreams. Now this is helpful to note as we, we seek to understand the context in which Daniel is found. Just as Daniel is surrounded by a court of wise men who hold varying beliefs, such as those in magical powers and a multitude of gods, we now find ourselves in our own exile. As we have moved from a belief in absolute truth and the potential for divine revelation, we have now moved into a world of postmodernism where society believes that absolute truth can't be found. Just as Daniel walks alongside magi of varying and different beliefs, we have entered into a world of post-Christianity where we have experienced a loss of the primacy of the Christian worldview. Daniel has found himself surrounded by a group of people that declare that there is no one on earth that can tell the king his dream. The king's demand is impossible. No one except the gods can tell him his dream, and they do not live here among people. We find ourselves in a similar circumstance. We engage in a society where in God we trust is inscribed upon the money that we use. But that statement, in many ways, couldn't be further from the truth, could it? We work in atmospheres where there's a clear bar on religious speech, and we study in an academic world that pushes back on any potential for there to be a God. We live in a world that is eerily similar to the Babylonian exile that Daniel has found himself in. It is so helpful to me to see as we look further that Daniel actually pushes in to engage with this society. Instead of merely fleeing from the differences that he sees and is surrounded by, Daniel pushes in so that he can see where God may want to be at work in the people that he is surrounded by. The truth, as we will find as we continue to read through Daniel, is that there is a God capable of this kind of feat, and he does live among us. The Magi said that we are helpless and that gods do not live among us. The story of the gospel is that there is a God, and he does live among us. We must live in the reality that our God is walking among us and capable of the extraordinary. In a world that can feel like chaotic circumstances, surrounded by those who believe differently than us, there is a God who is capable and lives among us. As we move along in the text, we, we get to see how Daniel handles this situation. And this is where I think we find a lot of the fruit. In verse 14, it says this. When Arioch, the commander of the king's guard, came to kill them, Daniel handled the situation with wisdom and discretion. I think it's important to note how Daniel responds. This verse indicates that he handled the situation with wisdom and discretion. I believe that the ability... For Daniel to respond in this way is indicative of the fact that he knows and dwells closely with God. Although merely a young man, many scholars think he's but a teenager, 
Daniel is unshaken because of his personal relationship with the one true God. He seems almost detached from the pressure of having a death sentence counting over his head. Daniel knows that he serves a God that is worthy of his confidence. How do you respond when you face challenges in your life? I want to share a personal story. Even just this past summer, I found myself facing a challenging situation in my life that really started to get to me. And I'm not the type of person who gets thrown off by things that easily. As a campus missionary, I get the opportunity to to live off of a support-raised income. And this past summer, I struggled for months to even begin to reach the minimum necessary budget for me to be up at Western. And as September rolled around, I found myself in a situation where I'd lost just as much monthly support as I'd been able to bring in. And that led to me beginning to, to question God and his faithfulness to provide for me. And that led to me questioning God, am I supposed to be doing this? Should I even be serving in campus ministry? Now, despite the, the fruitlessness that I was seeing, I persevered through the fall, which God showed to me to be a radically different season. One in which time and time again he would bless me with new and faithful supporters, but that didn't change the difficult reality that I felt like I was in, in the midst of it. I stated at the beginning of my sermon that living in exile provides a proving grounds for one's faith. I think as I reflected on my story, and as we look at Daniel's life, and how he responds to Arioch, we see that how we respond in challenging circumstances is indicative of the faith that is within us. In a world that feels like chaotic circumstances, surrounded by those who believe differently than we do, Daniel's actions show that he trusts that there is a God who is capable and lives among us. Now, the last bit of of the scripture that I want us to take a look at before we wrap up is is Daniel's prayer in verses 19 through 24. Allow me to read that prayer once more as we take a look at it. It says, starting in verse 19, That night the secret was revealed to Daniel in a vision. Then Daniel praised the God of heaven. He said, Praise the name of God forever and ever, for he has all wisdom and power. He controls the course of world events. He removes kings and sets up other kings. And he gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the scholars. He reveals deep and mysterious things and knows what lies hidden in darkness, though he is surrounded by light. I thank and praise you, God of my ancestors, for you have given me wisdom and strength. You have told me what we asked of you and revealed to us what the king demanded. Before even running off to tell Nebuchadnezzar, Daniel takes the time to pray a prayer of praise to his God. Daniel begins by acknowledging that God is the one who has all power and wisdom. He goes on to praise his God because he is in control of the entire world, including its kings. 
He ends by thanking his God for being the one capable of revealing things masked by the darkness of the world. In a world that feels like chaotic circumstances, surrounded by those who believe differently than we do, Daniel prays into the reality that there is a God who is capable and lives among us. It is so easy for us to forget how capable and loving our God is. This makes it so easy for us to start right off by trying to take things into our own hands. Although, really, we are no more capable than the Magi of the court of Babylon. What do you think came to Daniel's mind as Arioch approached him, telling him the king's orders? What was Daniel thinking? Perhaps Daniel reflected on the great acts that he had seen his God do in Scripture. Acts of power such as the Exodus, where the Lord freed the Israelites from the slavery in Egypt. Or perhaps he even reflected on what Tim shared last week, how he came to the court of Babylon, that although he'd been ripped from his home during the Babylonian capture of Jerusalem, he was blessed with wisdom by the Lord and brought to be trained in the Babylonian court that, that he was reflecting on that giving God that Tim spoke of last week, the God who gives. What do you turn to in those moments? What have you seen the Lord do in your life that you can turn to and remember in times of challenge? For me, this past summer, I found that I had to look back and remember what the Lord had done in and through me as a campus pastor. As I looked back and and I thought of faces and names of, of the young men that I had the opportunity to walk alongside this past year, it helped to restore in me the faith and the motivation to persevere in my support raising. But I needed the strength of being able to look back and see what the Lord had already done and already said to me. I think these are important times and things to recall and remember. What will you recall to testify of God's wisdom and power? I began with a question. How can we live day to day trusting God? Just as God was the only one that could reveal the dream to Daniel, God is the only one worthy of entrusting our lives to. In summary, when our circumstances of life feel chaotic, when we feel surrounded by those who believe differently than we do, and when life feels dangerous and we are tempted towards pessimism, of hopelessness, Daniel invites us to look at the world differently. The book of Daniel shows us that there is a God capable who lives among us. It shows Daniel acting in trust of this reality, and it shows Daniel praying faithfully into this reality. And I think the book implies that he remembers, in spite of all that he is doing, he remembers what the Lord has done. And it invites all followers of God living in exile to embrace this same reality. 
in spite of present appearances, Daniel shows us that God is in control. Our goal here today isn't to be more like Daniel. Our goal is to press into a deeper relationship with Daniel's God. As we close, I think we might find ourselves in one of three camps today. Today, you, like Daniel, might find yourself facing a great challenge. It could be big or small, but you find yourself in a place where you simply need help. You could be wrestling at heart with the political circumstances of our nation. Others might be facing a difficult reality at work or within your family. Or for those of you who are students, you're navigating what it looks like to engage as a believer on a secular campus in a competitive education system that can be hostile to faith. It is my hope that we can take the promises we see in Scripture as well as the mighty things we have seen the Lord personally do in our own lives to grant us a greater confidence and trust to see what the Lord is doing in our midst. What will you recall? Others of you might not necessarily feel like that's the case. I would challenge you to begin to think of the people around you, your coworkers, your classmates, your neighbors. Who of them are experiencing great upheaval in their lives? Who around you is confused? As I looked at the text, I could only imagine the amazing work that God began to do in the court of Babylon, after the Magi personally declared that there was no God who could possibly do the things the king had requested, they then see Daniel's God step in. They saw Daniel's God rescue them from death. In the midst of his exile, Daniel made himself available to the Lord. And by his faith, many were able to witness the Lord's might and rescuing. Who will you reach your hand out to? Who will you begin to pray for? And who will you ask the Lord how he would want you to bless them? Lastly, some of you in this room may even be like Nebuchadnezzar and his wise men. You have your hope placed in something else. But sometimes you feel as if there simply aren't enough resources to see you through to the next day. You feel the weight of what's going on in our world, but you feel as if you have only your own strength to bear it. I want you to know that there is a living God who even today wants to do a mighty work in you. What are you placing your trust in? And is that thing truly sufficient? It is God's heart that we would be a people who trustingly press into him, whose actions represent that trust. It is God's heart that we would allow his might to be represented through us as we faithfully respond to him. And it is God's heart that we would seek to know him more. Join me in prayer as we close. Lord, we, we look to recall the things that you have done in our lives We look to recall the things that you have done in Scripture and the promises that you have made. And we look at Daniel not to become more like him, Heavenly Father, but as an 
encouragement to seek after his God because you, Jesus, have proven yourself to be faithful to us. Lord, we, we invite you here and ask that you would be stirring in our hearts as we think of how you have worked in us and what you would call us to remember to be strengthened by you. In your name, Jesus. Amen.